I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 tells us the story of a man that brought his son to Jesus, and uh, Jesus was away with some of his disciples. And the other disciples that were there tried to cast the devil out of the boy. The young boy was tormented with the devil. And uh, the disciples tried to cast the devil out of him, and they couldn't. And so we'll pick up the story in verse, uh, well, let's just start in verse 18. Mark chapter 9, verse 18. This is the Father telling Jesus what's happened up to this point. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnashes with his teeth and pines away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto Jesus, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And Jesus asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of or since he was a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, folks, I want to talk to you tonight about having confidence in God. Now, I don't really want to talk about the nuts and bolts and and, uh, um, step-by-step principles about how to believe God and the principles of faith and that type of thing. I want to talk to you about a foundational um, principle or truth that in many ways the other principles are built on. This man understandably so, is seeking desperately help for his son, as you and I would, as any good parent would. But notice how the father is, is approaching Jesus. Look at what he's seeking when he's looking for help. He says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I would submit to you that most of the church world is operating under that principle, under that concept where they're looking for God, if he's able to do something, to reach out and help. But I want you to notice that Jesus, who is the will of God in action, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they're not of myself, they're of my Father that gives them to me to say. So we could identify clearly that what Jesus responds to that idea of looking for God's power to redeem, looking for God's power to deliver, looking for God's power to make the difference. Notice how Jesus responds to that. And he never changes. That means if Jesus responded to that, and it was the will of God for him to respond in that way at that time, it would still be the same will of God today. Jesus turns it around and says, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I would submit to you folks that there's a disconnect between God and the church. Because the church, by and large, is looking for the power of God. Oh, God, use your power to make the difference for whatever it is they need. Deliverance, provision, healing, whatever. And God's turning it around saying, you can have whatever you can believe for. So here's the question. What can you believe for? That's really what Jesus is saying. He's saying anything's possible to him that believes. What can you believe for? Well, the end result was the father said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, which doesn't sound like great faith to me, but it's enough for Jesus to work with. And so Jesus delivers the little boy. But folks, as I said, I want to talk to you about having confidence in God. First John chapter 3 and verse 21, John said this. He said, Beloved, 
If our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. So the question is the same. What can you believe for? If your heart condemns you not, then you can have confidence toward God. Turn back with me to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to lay a foundation just real quickly here and then get to the heart of the things that I have on my heart to share this evening. Deuteronomy 28, Moses is going off the scene and he's living his last instructions to Israel, knowing that Joshua is going to take over as the leader of the children of Israel, knowing that they're going to go in and take the promised land, which they could have done 40 years before, but refused to do so because of unbelief. So Moses is telling the children of Israel, these are the promises that God has made unto you. These are the blessings that belong to you. Verse 1, and it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, <clears throat> to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your kind, the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face, and they shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Notice verse 8. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses, and in all that thou settest thine hand to do, or hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Notice that phrase, and he shall bless thee in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee. Um, skip down with me to verse 11. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of your ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. I want you to notice something, folks. The blessing of God belongs to you in the land where he gives it. It doesn't belong to you everywhere. They can't go anywhere they want to go and expect the blessing of God to be theirs. The blessing of the Lord belongs to you in the land or in the place that God sets you. I think a lot of people in the, in the body of Christ, a lot of people that, uh, that think they're operating by faith, have the idea that they can just do anything and everything that they want to do and expect the blessing of God. Because the Bible says the Lord will bless whatever you put your hand to. Well, the implied truth there, folks, is that we should be putting our hand to what God directs us to. Turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me show you some Old Testament principles, and we'll bring it around to a New Testament context. 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah comes on the scene as the prophet of Israel. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was the, the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab the king, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, let's stop and talk about that just real briefly. I don't want to get into a whole lot of detail about this. But Elijah is operating according to what God has already said to them about the covenant. God made very clear to Israel that if you rebel against God, I'll shut up the heavens and it won't rain. But if you return back unto God then he'll open the heavens up and rain will come again. 
Elijah is just telling them what God has already said. And said, in addition, he's just saying, this is what's going to happen now. That which God has told you, that which God declared long ago. Now that's in effect. Now notice what happens next. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Folks, the point very simply is this. For every one of us, for every person in the body of Christ, for every person in the family of God, there is a place called there that God has commanded the blessing upon you. The secret is not to try to get God to bless you. It's not to try to get God to show his power or show himself strong so that the blessing comes. The key is to find the place that you're supposed to be. Let's keep reading. Well, let's back up and read that verse again. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Well, isn't that similar to what God said in Deuteronomy 28? I will command the blessings upon thee in thy storehouse. God's talking about a command in the land that I've given to you. In the place that I've set you. In the, the place, the location that I've called you to be. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread, bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now let me tell you something else about the place that God has for you. There's no guarantee that it'll always be the place that you're supposed to be. The brook may dry up. But I want you to notice something else. Elijah doesn't move because the brook dries up. The next verse says, and the word of the Lord came unto him again. Elijah's not moving because the brook dries up. He moves only when God tells him what to do. See, the brook drying up doesn't mean the place has changed. It could be, but he's not going to know until he gets the word of the Lord. I've seen so many people bless their hearts. I've seen so many people leave the church and say, well, Pastor Mike, we've got such a great opportunity. It's a job opportunity that's available to me or my husband or whoever it is. Housing is so much cheaper where we're going to go. Everything is just so much better. It's a family-oriented city. It's just going to be wonderful. And as soon as they move, the job falls through. Their finances go to pot. Their family goes to pot. They don't have a church to be in. And they find out the hard way that God wasn't leading them there. That they were being led by the circumstances. What they thought would be a financial gain turns out to be a financial bust. And it hurts them spiritually too. I've seen that happen so many times. Folks, I want to encourage you. Find the place that God wants you to be and don't leave till he tells you to go. That's the key to the blessing of God. That's the key to walking in God's blessing. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, I would imagine that Elijah's thought would be similar to mine in this situation. If she's a widow woman, that probably implies rich. Rich. 
But again, the point is the same. Elijah sees the brook dry up and doesn't move until the word of the Lord comes. It does not say, and the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, saying, Go to Zarephath, because I've got a widow woman there to sustain you. I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you. And then after he left, the brook dried up. The brook dries up before he goes, but he doesn't move until he hears the word of the Lord. Now notice the same thing is being said here when God directs him to a new location. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. By the brook Cherith, he commanded the ravens. Now he's commanded a widow woman. Now I don't know what Elijah is expecting, but it probably wasn't what turned, the way it turned out. Hardly ever is. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee. I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Folks, I want you to get her to-do list for the day. Gather two sticks, make a little cake. I'm not sure how much fire two sticks is going to make, but it's going to be enough of the meal that she has. Eat and die. That's as far as she can see. Now, this is a person that God has commanded to sustain Elijah, the prophet, through the duration of the, the drought, which worked out to be about three and a half years. We don't know how far into that three and a half years it is where the brook sheriff dries up and he goes to Zarephath. But I, I think it's safe for us to assume that it's going to be a couple of years anyway. Now, she has been commanded to sustain him, and she has no clue. But Elijah does, because he knows where God has sent him to go. He knows where God has called him to be. He knows where the place called there is. So Elijah says, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and afterwards make for you and your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Notice what the key was for her to enter into the command of God to sustain Elijah, to put the things of God first before herself. Now that's tough when you don't have much. When you're rolling in plenty and you're able to give offerings and cover your bills and everything else at the same time, that's fun. But it's tough when you don't have enough. It's tough when you look like you have to make the decision between do I pay my tithes or do I pay my bills? What are you going to do then? And folks, nobody can tell you what, you're gonna, what you should do. I'll tell you that God will always honor it if you do it from your heart. But see, a lot of people just hear other people tell stories. I didn't have enough to pay my bills and pay my tithes, so I paid my tithes and God paid my bills. And so they think, well, I'm going to do that too. That worked for Brother Jim over there. 
I'm going to do that too, but they're not doing it from their heart. So it doesn't turn out the same way. So nobody can tell you what you should do because it's according to your faith. It's according to the confidence that you have in God as to the results you're going to get. See, folks, if tithing was a magical formula, financial, magical financial formula, banks would be giving churches money. Because if it was a guarantee that whatever money you give to the work of God, God multiplies it back to you, banks would have figured it out. They'd realize this is the easiest money we can make. Let's just give 10% of our earnings to the churches, and it'll multiply. But that's not how it works. It doesn't work as a formula. It works as a matter of confidence toward God. Turn with me to Isaiah 38. There for Elijah, started off by the brook Cherith, and then turned into the city of Zarephath. There for Isaiah is the office of king. Verse 1, in those days was Hezekiah, uh, I said Isaiah, I meant Hezekiah. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, and I want you to notice his prayer. Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Now the rest of the story tells us that before Isaiah the prophet, who has delivered by the word of the Lord a death sentence to Hezekiah the king. Now I don't know how closer, much closer death you get than that. God saying, you're not going to live, you're going to die. That sounds pretty final. But Hezekiah changed it. And notice how he changed it. He changed it by reminding God that he was in the place that God had put him. And he had conducted himself in the place that God had put him. In truth and with a perfect heart. And had done right in God's sight. And that changed the sentence of death. Before Isaiah even gets out of the courtyard. The word of the Lord comes back to him. It says, go tell Hezekiah that I've heard his prayers and I've seen his tears. Tell him I'll give him 15 more years to live. And he did. So for Hezekiah, it wasn't a physical location alone. It was an office. It was a place where God put him. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Thine handmaid has not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of, the, of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out unto all these vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door on, upon her and upon her sons, 
who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. The oil kept pouring until they ran out of jars. Then came she and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live, thou and thy children of the rest. Now why did this work for her? I can't help but suspect that it was because she and her sons had been dedicated to the prophet, her husband, their father, to serve God. In other words, their place called there was to support him and help him in his service to the Lord. And as a result, the blessing that was commanded upon her was debt reduction in a miraculous way. Now, folks, look at the things that we've seen. We saw that the command of the Lord to provide for Elijah was first the ravens. Second, a widow woman that thought she was too poor to help anybody else even live beyond her means for one day. Now here's a cruise of oil that is nowhere near enough to pay for the debt that is owed by her husband. But they're all in the place that God called them to. They're all in the place that he's established for them. Now sometimes the place is different for different people. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Here's where God appears to Abraham. He hadn't even changed his name yet. His name's still Abram. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Skip down with me to verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And the rest of the chapter tells us about how that he told Sarah, let's not say we're husband and wife. People will kill me to get you. So skip with me over to chapter 13. Verse 1, and Abram went up out of Egypt. He's returning from Egypt now. He went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. Now let me ask you a question. Where did he get all the cattle and the silver and the gold? He got it in Egypt. So the place for Abraham to be at that point in time during the great famine was Egypt. And God blessed him there. But now skip with me over to chapter 26. Let's see what happens with his son Isaac. Verse 1, and there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. That was in chapter 12. Now there's another famine. And Isaac went into Abimelech, king of the Philistines, into Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Notice what he's saying. 
Don't do what your dad did. It worked for your dad. Your dad came back with silver and cattle and gold, was very rich. But that's not what I've got for you. So see, the land where the blessing of God is for you may be different than the land that he has for me. The work that he has for you to do may be different than the work that he has for somebody else to do. It may be different from what your brothers did or your fathers did or your mom did or whoever else it might be. But God's got a place called there for you. And that's where the blessing of God has been commanded upon you. Let's keep reading. He tells him, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and bless thee. For unto thee and thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Well, part of the obedience that Abraham performed was to go where God told him to go, including Egypt to begin with. Skip down with me to verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land, the land where the famine was. He didn't run away from the famine like his father had several decades before. Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. Now, in Abraham's famine, he left the place where the famine and the drought was, and he went down into Egypt, and he prospered there. Isaac stayed where the famine was, in the middle of the drought, and God gave him a hundredfold return right in the middle of the drought. Now, we have to assume... But since the famine didn't end, it doesn't say that God caused an end to the famine so that Isaac would be blessed. We have to assume that Isaac is prospering, his crops are growing, his flocks and herds are growing and multiplying when nobody else's are. So here's the same God operating on the same promise with two different people in two different ways. See, wherever the place is that God has for you, whatever work he has for you to do, there's nothing that will bring you confidence to be provided for and to be taken care of like knowing you're doing what he has for you to do. Nothing. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 17. Let's look at a New Testament context. Matthew chapter 17, let's start reading in verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Does not your master pay tribute or taxes? He said, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said unto him, Of strangers. Then Jesus said unto him, Then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first comes up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Now, folks, here's a very simple question. Why did Jesus take action that would pay taxes for Peter and for himself? He clearly said we don't owe the taxes. 
But he didn't fight with them. He didn't say, let's take it to court. He said, lest we should offend them, here's how we'll pay it. Peter got his taxes paid because he stuck with Jesus. The blessing of God was upon Peter for one simple reason, and that is because he stuck with Jesus. Peter's place called there was with Jesus and right by his side. Now, folks, when we think of things that we extend our faith for, it's so easy for us to get caught up into the ritualistic operation of the principles of faith. I've got to put the Word of God in my heart. I've got to meditate in the Word of God. I've got to speak the Word of God over and over and over again so that I build my faith, so that I can speak from my heart so that the words of my mouth can come to pass. And once I do that, I've got to make sure that I walk in peace, and walk in forgiveness, make sure that I don't carry any anxiety or worry, and make sure that I keep myself in the love of God. You can wear yourself out trying to keep everything going. But there are places where you know that you know that you know that you know that you've done what God told you to do that gives you a confidence like nothing else will. Church finances are like that for me. I don't give any thought whatsoever to church finances. I don't believe God for money. I don't believe God for offerings. I don't believe God for a certain amount of offerings for the year. I don't give it any thought. Same thing's true where TV is concerned. TV is far and away the biggest, biggest outreach expense the church has. And I don't give it a second thought. We don't take offerings to pay for TV. We've taken one offering several years ago when we had to upgrade our equipment because of the FCC regulations. But there wasn't any push or pressure on anybody for that. I don't give any thought whatsoever to church finances. And you know why? Because I know I'm where God sent me. I don't have to try to talk God into paying for what he called me to do. I don't have to try to talk God into paying for TV bills because he's the one that told me to go on TV. Now you can see the size of our church. We're not some great big crowd where money is just rolling in because of how many people we've got. But over the years, God has blessed people for the purpose of blessing the church. Not because I'm believing God for something. Generally, I'm believing God for you to increase. But I don't have some kind of number on anything. I'm just believing that you putting the word to work in your life will increase you. God said so. So God can use big things or he can use little things. But when you know that you know that you know that you're where God told you to be, doing what he told you to do, that gives you a confidence that nothing else can match. Let me tell you a story. Back in the early 80s, there was a missionary to South Africa, or um, South America, named Jack Reed. There were some things that the Lord had for him to do and some things that he had put on his heart to do, and in order to do, to do them, he needed a new vehicle. 
And so he sent out some letters to his partners, didn't have a big mailing list, wasn't well known, but sent out some letters to some of his partners here in the States and asked them to pray and agree, and if they could help, then they'd appreciate it and so forth. But nothing really came in. He didn't get any money off of it. He kept talking to the Lord, kept believing God. Finally, it got to the point where he was desperate. He said, Lord, I don't understand. Here you have called me to this missionary work, and in order to do the missionary work, I've got to have this vehicle. And I've been believing God for the money, and it hadn't come. There's no prospects for it to come. Nobody seems to care to want to get involved. I don't know what to do. You're going to have to help me. Well, over the next several weeks, the Lord dropped in his heart to go to Bermuda. And that made no sense whatsoever. He started complaining to the Lord, I don't know anybody in Bermuda. You're not asking me to go take a ministry opportunity or, or you know, uh, accept a ministry invitation. You're telling me to go to Bermuda and I don't know anybody. And it's going to cost me money that I don't have to get there. What in the world is this about? But it stayed, stayed after him. Things of God don't go away. Your ideas will vanish before the end of the day. But when God puts something in your heart, it sticks with you. So after several days, he realized, I know this is God telling me to do it, and it makes no sense. Had to borrow the money from somebody to go to Bermuda. Goes to Bermuda and gets on the island and says, okay, now what? What am I supposed to do? Didn't have a hotel, didn't have a place to stay, didn't have anything. And God didn't say a word to him. So he's wandering around the city. And he wanders up on this little place on the outskirts of town, little hut looking thing that says Pentecostal Church. So he says, well, I don't have anywhere else to go. I might as well stop here. Walks into the door. Small little place. Just a native church. Ten or twelve people in the room. Service has just begun. They start singing, praising God. After the singing is over, the, the, there's a lady that's directing the congregation. It was the pastor. So she gets up on the platform and she sees this guy, white guy. She knows he's new. So she asks him, she said, Brother, I see that you come to visit us. Tell us about you. Come, come share your testimony with us. So he comes up, steps on the little platform, the little one-step platform up, you know. Steps up there and says, well, I'm a missionary to South America. And she starts screaming. Everybody in the church starts screaming, glory to God, hallelujah, glory to God, hallelujah. Finally, after about five minutes or so, they quiet down, and he said, what in the world is going on? She said, the Lord told us, told our church five years ago to start taking money, gathering money, gathering an offering for a missionary from South America that needed a truck. So you come stay with us overnight, and tomorrow we'll go to the bank and get the money for you to buy your truck. He wound up with enough money to get back home, pay the debt to get to Bermuda to begin with, buy the truck, and have money left over. Now, why'd God bless him? God had planned for his need to be met five years before he ever knew that he needed it. God said in the Old Testament, he said, before you call, I'll answer you. Bless our hearts. We get so concerned about micromanaging every little thing. We try to make sure God knows every little need that we have. 
Now, Lord, you, you, you see this over here, don't you? He saw it before we ever knew about it. So whether it's by the ravens feeding you or a widow woman or a fish with a coin in his mouth, you get yourself in the place that God has for you to be and do what he has for you to do and God will see you through. The only thing that we should concern ourselves with is not whether or not he'll provide but whether or not we're in the right place walking with him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Because it's true, we can expect your greatest blessing upon us. We thank you, Father, for making it clear to each and every one of your children just where you want us to be, just what you want us to do. And we commit ourselves, Lord, that as we know, just like Isaiah said, just like Hezekiah said when Isaiah delivered the word of the Lord unto him. We know, Father, that when we're in that place, we can pray like Hezekiah did. Lord, behold thy servant, how we walked before you in truth with a perfect heart and have done good in your sight. Hezekiah didn't even say that he had been perfect. He just said he had a perfect heart. So we realize, Father, that even when we've missed it, even when we've failed and done the wrong things in the flesh, when our hearts wanted to do right, and our hearts resented the actions that our flesh took, you marked that down as us having a perfect heart. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us through. Thank you, Lord, as we do that, which you've given us to do in this life, what we need, you need. And we thank you for that provision. We thank you that you have commanded the blessing upon us in the place that you've called us to be. We'll walk in that blessing. We'll reap the great benefits of walking with you. Thank you, Lord, for leading us by your spirit. In Jesus' precious name, everybody that can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, if you don't know you're in the place where God has for you to be, you've got some hunting up to do. If you don't know you're doing what God has for you to do, you've got some searching. But once you find it, it'll bring you to a place of confidence that nothing else can give you. So above all, find that place. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.